You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Morden. And today we have a really interesting discussion to share with you. Yeah, so I was not able to join for this interview uh, that you guys are about to hear, but I think you're all really going to love it as much as I did. Um, Tim, you did a great job uh, chatting with Romy about her career and the work she does with data analysis and and tracking in the thoroughbred racing world in Australia. Um, and we talk about all the time how much there is to learn by looking at other sports and, um, you know, taking away from from what they've done successfully to apply sports science to sport horses. And really, thoroughbred racing is no different. It's um, a bit more evolved when it comes to using data to inform both training programs and um, competition schedules. And what Romy's built is is really quite impressive and and I think exciting. And um, you know, I just I loved how much she she talked about just her passion for the animals and how that that drives so much of what she does. And I think that all of us, you know, in any discipline, can really relate to that. Um, but I think it's, it's definitely worth, um, you know, hearing, hearing the whole conversation and thinking about how we can also relate to the use of data and analysis to better prepare our sport horses for, you know, the, their best possible opportunity to compete at their best and to, um, you know, stay sound and able to, you know, continue doing their jobs you know, even even when they're being pushed a little bit further, trying something a little different. Um, so anyway, I really enjoyed it. And I think every, I think you guys will, too. Romy Borion was raised in Paris and started riding horses with her older sister when she was young. Horses remained an important part of her life. And she competed in show jumping and eventing with an off the track thoroughbred while pursuing a master's degree in public affairs. She later obtained an additional master's degree in equine science and business. And during this time, Romy became fascinated with the thoroughbred racing industry, specifically the training of the horse athlete. She relocated to Australia in October 2019, and since then has been working in Melbourne for different racehorse trainers in sports science as a performance analyst and as a track rider. She created her own company, Race Day Ready, in January 2023, which is a consulting firm that helps trainers with horse performance and data analysis. Hi, Romy, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll dive right in. I, we have a lot to cover today and uh, looking forward to the discussion. Can you tell us about your background and how you ended up in Australia working with some of the top thoroughbred racing stables? Yes. Um, so I'm French <laughs> and I am not from a racing family, which is um, a bit unusual. But uh, yeah, I started riding when I was really young. Um, just kept it as a hobby through my studies and then sort of decided to pursue that um, as a like not just a passion but also a job and um, found that master's degree so an, another master's degree in equine science and business which was um, so interesting it was in partnership with um, the University of uh, Kentucky in Lexington so I got to travel as well um, sort of discovered the world of thoroughbreds and the racing industry um, while I was doing that master's degree and then um, like different internships as well, worked a bit in Glossock, 
studs, racing. Uh, parts that I loved the most was um, the bloodstock and the, the training part. Um, and then I sort of wanted to broaden my horizons and I heard of Australia and how the industry here was sort of thriving and maybe you're offering more opportunities. So I, I just packed my bags and, <laughs> and left. And um, thanks to some uh, friends and contacts, I got a job um, at a up-and-coming um, racing stable here. Um, so it was Karimar Racing and got a job first as a track rider because I, I, I have a um, – I also passed an amateur jockey license when I was in France, so that was pretty handy. I was able to uh, get a job that way, and um, and started writing track work here and sort of like you know understanding how it works and everything. And then um, yeah, it was I was um, just quickly sort of asked to take over the the, the data part. And then two and a half years later, we had four people working in a sports and data science team and then um, started working for another trainer. And then other trainers asked me to, to, to analyze their data and help them in that sense. And so I created my own little company. Um, and that's, that's how I, I sort of got where I am today, three and a half years later. <laughs> Awesome. No, it, yeah, no, it's it's really fascinating. And and I guess I have a few follow-up questions. Like I guess the first would be because when you were younger, I know you did like three-day eventing and and show jumping. Like what ended up drawing you more to the thoroughbred side to pursue the the, the sports science? Yeah, um I think I saw straight away a bit more of a a training like a, a more professional training side of it obviously I wasn't a professional rider at all so um I never got that far into show jumping or eventing and I'm I'm pretty sure by now that they, they, they probably have more elaborated programs and everything but I always had the prism of doing it as a as a hobby whereas when I got into the racing industry there's no hobby in racing it's like it's your job or you know you just go there as a punter or as a as someone who goes to the races on a Sunday, but the, the people that work in it, it's like, it's very professional. There is a world of amateur, like amateur racing, but really it's, it's mostly people that are like sons of trainers and they're just doing it as a, as a side sidekick. Um, so I really like the very organized and very professional side of the thoroughbred industry and then you go into um you know a horse racing stable in france for the first time and you see like those those uh you know 20 horses in um in a far cantering on a track that's like top notch like chantilly as well it's just it's it's so amazing and you see all these beautiful horses that are thoroughbreds i mean they're amazing animals just even to look at them and I don't know, in, um, in a competition point of view, in a sports point of view, I was fascinated by it. And then when you're a rider as well and you get to ride racehorses that are going really fast, it's pretty exhilarating as well. So, yeah, I think all these combined, I was just like, I'm fascinated. I want to know more. I want to, I want to see more of this. Yeah, no, it's uh, probably a bit addictive too right like just the the whole atmosphere that it brings and like it's 
the, the thoroughbred racehorse is such an impressive athlete, as you say, right? Like it's it's always interesting because I have the opportunity to talk to like a lot a lot of talk coaches on the track and field or or in, in any sport really. And like they always talk about like in their mind if they're talking to their athletes about like what is like an amazing athlete or amazing creature i get the thoroughbred racehorse i think what always comes to the top of mind for people like just how fluid their their stride is like how efficient it is and yeah it's it's impressive um and then circling back you mentioned as well uh towards the end of your time at that one stable there were like four four members of the team like all sort of diving into the data and, and the analysis side like how did that work like how did the information flow like what sort of data were you assessing and then how does that actually get to the trainers so that they can make decisions about maybe the next when the horse will compete next or what they're doing in training day to day yeah so there was um two of us that were dedicated to the the horse side of it more and then two um people more in the data side of it so data scientists um that was sort of coordinating um collecting data from different part of the stable but not only the whole side like might have been um racing data and, and ratings and stuff like that and two of us were really looking on a day-to-day basis at all the, the training that were recorded with you know high monitors and all this kind of technology and um it was pretty, um, yeah, at the beginning, I just started sending daily reports with all the trainings that we had recorded. And when we only had, we started, we only had one um, heart rate monitor. Then we, I think when I left, there was like at least 30 for the whole stable. So when you could, you can put one on at least five or six times a morning. So you can make the calculus a lot of training. So you need a lot of people to look at it. And then we had those people um, also like sort of building a, a data warehouse to collect all that and make it easier to analyze on a larger scale. But the, um, the, the information was mostly given on a day-to-day basis by um, little reports sent to the trainer on each horses that had worn the, the hour monitor or that had been on the treadmill or that had their lactates taken, all this kind of stuff. Um so that that's how they 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 knew it and then depending on the stable you work at like trainers will have weekly meetings where you know they'll go over the whole stable or they'll go over the program for the next week or you can also talk to the racing manager and like there's different people in within a stable that big because it was pretty big stable same as the one I, I work for now um that you know are part of the decision process so usually all these people will receive those reports and they all sort of will interpret it the way they need to interpret it and get the information they need like the racing manager might get um might be more interested in the locomotion and acceleration strategy so that it can target the perfect race for the horse whereas a trainer might be like oh is this horse handling that specific workout that, uh, you know i wanted him to do today and is he ready to race and this and that? So it's a big uh, <laughs> nebula of lots of lots of stuff, lots of information, um, but mostly like yeah, um, reports sent, um, calls, obviously being there on the track, talking to riders, to the trainers, assistant trainers, and communication, the vets, everyone. Awesome. And um, 
you'd mentioned like the heart rate monitors, which I think is like the Arianeo Equimet system is mo- is mostly what you're using. Can you speak a little bit about some of the other technologies you use in, as well, and like sort of how those all factor in, and maybe like the types of information you're you're looking from from each uh, piece? Yeah. So obviously the the one that we use the most will be the heart rate monitor. I'd, I'd say they're probably eighty percent of what we base our analysis on. Um, and you can also use, so you can use them on the track, um, but you can also use them on the treadmill. You can also use other technologies on the treadmill. Um, Polar, for example, has a a chest strap. This is exactly the same as human use, but for horses, it's just a bit bigger, um, which is very easy to use because it's, it's small. It doesn't bother the horse when it's on the treadmill. It doesn't have to put a saddle on them or anything. Um, then... Um, we do a lot of lactates here in Australia. That's something I sort of discovered here. Obviously, no one does it in Europe. Um, here is is quite a it's quite a big thing. Um, depending on people's knowledge of how to use it and how to sort of understand it, it, it was a bit of um. We sort of had to look into it and and really understand it and how okay how are we going to use it are we going to make it a weekly thing is it a monthly thing um, how do we use it to measure you know the horse's fitness and everything um, so that's also something we do and then as for technology I would say that's probably the main then there's always like you know weighing your horses and doing some analysis on nutrition and forage and stuff like that um but I was less um a part of what I was doing um so mainly the heart rate managers the treadmill and the the lactase would be I'd say the the three main things that that I look at awesome and we we chatted a couple I guess a couple of weeks ago now and um like it was, I was just fascinated to hear sort of how the horses were, are, I guess, managed and kept over there. And like we had a nice discussion about, you know, how, you know, a lot of them do live outside and they have like a, maybe a more natural environment. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners are still located in North America and it's, uh, especially on the sport horse side, it's not typically not like that. So can you speak a little bit about like how the horses are kept over there and, and maybe some of the, the benefits you think you see from that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So here, um, horses will very rarely be 365 days a year, um, boxed. Um, they'll most of the time have different preps, especially, I guess, maybe that's different as well. in thoroughbreds, they start so early that, you know, they're young, they, they still have growth spurs. They, they still need, they still need to like go out from time to time, um, go in the paddock, you know, put their head down, eat some grass, um, but also it's more of a philosophy, I think, as well. Like it's it's more um, like uh, cycles. Like they go for preps of, you know, a few months, then they go for breaks and they'll have maybe two, three preps a year, depending on the horse, its age, um, you know, its level as well and how it's performing during a certain prep and stuff like that. So there's that thing that they usually have like preps, then breaks and preps and breaks. Um, when they go on breaks, they go in the paddock and two or three, five, ten horses together, depending on, you know, the facilities available and the trainer and the owners and everything. Um, 
And then even when they're in training, a lot of trainers do that here. They'll um, freshen them up sometimes between races. And so, you know, horses, they don't lose fitness as fast as humans do. Like they'll have remaining fitness much longer. So they'll sometimes after a race, they'll go maybe 10 days to a facility that has a water walker and a paddock. And they'll go there for 10 days in between races and then they'll maybe have another piece of work before the next race and that will be it. So that's something that's very different as well. And then also more globally, I guess, um, there's so much space here that a lot of stables have paddocks uh, within um, like their facilities and some horses will just be living outside. Like um, I've seen horses living two or three in paddocks and being only showed behind just for the races. Um, and, well, I think as any horse person um, that is um, that can observe horses, you, you see straight away their horses are just happier outside. They're happier outside. They can walk. They can um, interact with other horses. They like it's it's just better for their mind. And I've also noticed. I remember when I was in um, Europe, when I was riding, and there was a few horses, like a bit older horses, that be in the box all day, every day um, of the whole year. And you know, you get them out, and they're really stiff. And you know, you have to have three pads on their backs uh, because they're too stiff and things like that. And that. I haven't noticed that here. I feel like horses are a bit like it's just an observation, obviously, but I, I think really for their well-being to be able to move um, around all day when they're in a paddock or even they also go out twice a day here. They'll go out in the morning. They'll have their morning training session and then most of the trainer will also take them out in the afternoon. Um, you know, like 20 minutes in the walker or in the paddock if they can, or they'll swim. They have a lot of pools here, so they swim the horses a lot. Other oh, water walker, they do that as well. So it's sort of like more diverse workout, more breaks and conditions of living that are a bit um, closer to a natural state, I guess, for horses. And, um, yeah, it's just... It's just it's just better, but it makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like horses are meant to be living outside, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I, I think that's one of the the fascinating things, right? Because when you look at building a training program, it's always um, like the goal is always to try to do the least amount to like stimulate the body in a way in which you're going to get like the maximum growth, I guess, right? And um, I think a lot of times, like as soon as you start getting away from like further and further away from like how the body was meant to like naturally function and, and they get, and you get more and more into an artificial environment, then on the flip side, you need to do more and more therapy and just, like just to keep the horse going and the margin for error gets smaller and smaller. Um, and like, of course it's a balance, uh, a little bit, but, um, yeah, like I think it's one of those situations where you look at, a lot of the racetracks in you know North America um and like the horses spend so much time in the boxes like they really only get one chance to go out a day which is usually in the morning and then they're kind of stuck inside for the rest of the day um and it just yeah it's, it's a very difficult environment um I always equate it to like if you think about 
just a naturally gifted, incredible athlete on the human side, like someone like Usain Bolt, like if he had to spend, if he only got to train in the morning, then kind of had to stand in a phone booth for for the rest of the day, like would he have ever run under 10 seconds even? Probably not, like let alone a world record. So yeah, it's, it's all really interesting to think about in that yeah, context. And, yeah, And also like, for example, here, horses are trained very early in the morning. So a lot of them will go out at night um, you know, sometimes they start here at like 4 a.m. And if the horse is in the first lot, then he'll go out at night. And if it's in the box all day, then literally won't see the sun. So I think there's also that um, specific um, thing that in Australia they train so early. If if you didn't take your horses out in the afternoon, if you didn't have breaks, it'd be pretty sad. <laughs> like the horse would literally never see the sun unless it's boxes on the outside but um yeah yeah for sure for sure and then you'd mentioned as well like you, you spoke about that just the diversity in training and how the horse have the opportunity to to swim and they have the opportunity to to spend a lot of time outside and like i know when we talked last time you'd mentioned that they have the opportunity to, to go to hills and like to gallop up hills and maybe even jump in the field and and all that sort of stuff like in all of the data that you've seen over the years, um, it's maybe a little bit hard to like put you on the spot, but it is I, I think on the sport horse side, like there's always this perception that, you know, taking the horses out and jumping them, like they're maybe more likely to get injured doing that because it's, it's not ring work. It's not as control. Like, do you ever see that with the thoroughbreds where there are certain things that they go out and do and like maybe galloping up hills like they tend to be a bit more sore after that or, or gallop or like jumping in the fields they tend to be a bit more sore or um not really i think it's not really the diversity of the exercise that would be to blame if um a horse wasn't handling it would probably be more um that it was inadequate at the time or the intensity was too much or the horse was not ready um, or maybe something happened like, you know, the other day I had a client, his horse was supposed to race and he was schooling him um, just to spark him up a bit two days before and then the horse will crash in a rail, hurt himself a little bit, obviously can't race. These things happen, but they, they, they happen pretty rarely. But as for like specifically would the exercise make the horse a bit sore, um, I'd say only if it's done um in the wrong in the wrong way like if you're if you're taking your horse up the hill every day fast it's going to be sore if you're taking your horse every day on the grass even if it's a flight and you're going too fast or you're not doing enough and then you're doing too much then obviously it's going to impact um your horse's performance but i don't think i've ever felt like the diversity of exercise was ever a problem. Obviously, you have to do specific um, training for, you know, races. They still need to know how to run fast on flat surface, which is what they do when they actually race. Um, but, no, I really feel like, on the contrary here, the fact that there's so many different structures available for horses to do very different things, like to swim, to go uphill, to go in heavy sand on the beach, uh, to go slow, to go fast, to go on the grass, to go on the poly track, um, all that combined, I think, um, and now being able to see the impact it has um, on the horse because you're able to record 
um, you know, the training sessions is just invaluable information and, like, it's it's amazing and I, I think it's definitely, like, you can't really do without it, at least here in Australia when everyone else is doing it, if you want to keep up to date and if you want to have your horse as fit as anyone as another trainer, then you sort of need to do that. Like if, um, if you're, if out of five horses in a race, you know, four of them have never seen a treadmill, never seen a heel, never done this or that. And the others have, well, there's a high chance. They're just going to be fitter because they're going to be more developed athletes. They'll have more, um, you know, more skills as well because when you jump a horse you, or even when you put it on the treadmill, like the horse has to learn how to gallop on a moving belt. It's different, you know, it's different locomotion. It's different skills when they jump, different skills as well. Um, so I just, yeah, I think there's way, way, way more um, benefits than there would be any risks of doing something a bit different for sure. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think um, it, it's like on the, for sure, dressage and jumping side, like there have been a few studies just looking at the, like the variation training and it seems to have a bit of, of a protective effect, like a pretty robust protective effect. So, and then, yeah, like it's just about, it is sport, right? Whether it's the thoroughbred racing or it's jumping or dressage or whatever, like it's sports and it's just about being a good athlete at the end of the day and like, you know, it's pretty rare that you have someone who isn't a world-class athlete on the human side who couldn't also go and be a pretty good athlete at a bunch of different sports, right? Like it's, you build up this massive, uh, I guess, library of just skills and, and abilities through through that diversity. Uh, I, I know one thing that you're really passionate about is the genetics and uh, the bloodline side of things. Um, I, I find that's always fascinating because it gets so much recognition on the public side as well, right? Like I think a lot of people when they go to the track and they're looking at bets um, or even if they're just an enthusiast, like usually they have a couple of bloodlines that they follow and that they're, you know, they, they think, that, yeah. you know, that horse is really good over this distance or, you know, it's a, it's a dirt horse versus turf or whatever. Like, can you speak a little bit about like your process and how you advise on the bloodline side? Yeah, so obviously um, within the range of my work, I don't um, pick at horses, even though I've done it before when I was working in Bloodstock and I, I love that side of it, like the purely uh, pedigree genetic side of like picking out a horse at a sale um, solely on its on its pedigree and, um, and well, it's not ever, it's never slow, slow, slow. Well, it's never only on the pedigree. There's always a physical side as well. But um, but as for um, but training, um, we most stables here, most big stables here, will um, ask for a genetic testing on their horses. So um, they call it the speed gene. So they the three categories: the, the sprinters, the milers, and the and the stayers. And that definitely comes. Um, plays a, a massive part in in building the training programs for the horses as well and I find that very very interesting and I think that's that's also something that definitely needs to be looked into more um, because um, 
yeah, like you were talking about Usain Bolt before, but you'd never train Usain Bolt the same way as you train a marathonian. And it's that that's like the extremes that it's not the same in horses. Obviously, every race horse is, um, you know, prone to like running fast, but there is definitely differences in 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 their genetics um, that you can test with speed gene, and therefore they won't respond. To response to training the same way like you won't train a two-year-old sprinter the same way you're trying a five-year-old stay your gelding um for many reasons but one of them is genetic obviously um so i found that um so interesting and um i've done also a little bit of research with um, a friend of mine on on the on the lactates um and um she helped me look at you know like uh, what were the incidents of the genetics of the horse depending on um, the lactate results. And, you know, like, because I've collected such a big database on treadmill exercises um, with the lactate collection. And, you know, if you put it in front of the age of the horse, the sex of the horse and the genetics of the horse, is there any correlations? And so that's all things that you can look into and you could do that you know, you could um, correlate the, the genetics to all the parameters you record on a horse, um, and I'm sure there'd be so much things to, to take out of it. But, yeah, I really, I really um, definitely think that it's, a, it's something we can look, look at more. And it's, it's also probably in the future uh, will help as well maybe reduce the injury risk, like if we look into – you know, is this horse more prone to having uh, bone, like um, poor bone structures and stuff like that, then therefore you can just, you know, plan your um, training program accordingly. You know, this horse is a horse that won't be ready until it's three-year-old. They're already sort of, you know, as a vet, you can look at the gross plates and when they're closing and things like that before you start training. But I think the genetic is just a step above, like it'll just, it's, yeah, so... I don't know. I feel like I've forgot what the first question was. But. No, no, no. I think that was a good overview um, for sure. And it's, it sort of allows people to start to think about that. Cause I, like I would say on the, yeah, the sport horse side, like, I don't think people think about it so much in that way, you know, because yeah, as, as you say, like the genetics, like they encode sort of the machinery of the body, right? That the, like yeah. the proteins that are being created are a direct reflection of uh, the genes that you inherit. And as well, then like you, when you put a training stressor on, like it, de- it determines what genes are essentially turned on and turned off and, and all that stuff. And then I would assume that the speed gene is like, it's probably related to like partially to maybe like the, the mitochondrial contents, like how efficient like is the energy system or maybe like the, the muscle fiber type that the horses fiber yeah that's that's i think that's the main one they they sort of uh make a ratio of uh the muscle fiber types which you know there's this there's, there's three and i think race horses naturally have um the muscle type two and to a and to b um more than other breeds which are the the ones that are fast and power and everything but yeah yeah perfect so all that being said, uh, if you were to look at like the future of thoroughbred training, like where do, where do you think the opportunities are? Um, like I know that like probably not so much now, but like 
sort of back in the Cold War era. Like it used to be, you'd bring like all the top coaches together and you put them in one room and you'd say like, even if we won Olympic gold and like gymnastics, track and field, you know, some event this year, like what can we do to make ourselves even better for next year? Like how do we make the athletes better? So like, like if you could get all the top trainers in the room and the year in the room, and you're kind of discussing like, what can we do better? So the horses run faster next year. Like what, what do you think that could be? Yeah. I think uh, one of the first thing would be a, probably a better coordination between all the um, actors of the racing industry within, within a stable, like, I feel like it's difficult to achieve because, you know, everyone has their own task and everyone's very busy and everything. But I feel like exactly like you say, if you could have each week for each horse in a room, you know, the the regular rider, the trainer, the 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 sports analyst, the the race manager, the foreman um assessing the horse and putting all the information they all have to add to the table because everyone has has something to say that is valuable um the vet as well obviously then like all if if you could coordinate all this information a bit better um it will help sort of individualize the training which is i think what is definitely the next step for racing it's just it just needs to be more individual which is hard because we're also sort of in an era where there's big, big trainers here that trainers will have, you know, like 500 horses in training um, because it's successful, making money, buying more horses, more clients. And at the same time, they're trying to be more in, in individual approach. So it's it's hard, but I think that's you have to do this. If you want to be better, if you want to have quality and quantity, you need to still be able to do that. So I guess a bit more coordination b- between all the actors and maybe that will be achieved by recording more data and then probably AI, to be honest. Like it's obviously already being used in other sports and day life and everything. But once you have like a massive database and um, if you can record all these parameters a bit more automatically, I'd say, um, I don't know, I just feel like, it's a bit maybe it's a bit boring as what everyone's saying nowadays, but it's definitely gonna help like because the bigger the base gets, the 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 more you need help to analyze it and, and just make sense out of it. And then like we were saying as well, definitely the genetic side can definitely be improved as well, even just for the injury um risks and reducing it and making it safer. Um, as well as more individualized training. So, yeah, I think those are probably the three things, like more coordination, a bit deeper into the genetic side, and um, definitely um, bigger database and AI helping out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I completely agree, especially the AI point. Like when you look at like some like the different modeling techniques, they like just identifying like different tech like uh, trajectories for for athletes and different uh, ways of clustering the data so you truly understand like maybe when they're young like you almost do like a behavioral type test you you do the genetic testing and then maybe a few other things and then you probably all right we know this these types of horses maybe need a bit longer before they go to the track or like these ones are going to be really good early and then yeah to your point about like sprinters versus stayers and and making sure that every horse just 
is just sent to the right place at the right time and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's exciting for sure. Uh, the last question we will ask you, uh, we ask everyone this question uh, who appears on the Sport Horse Podcast. If you could speak directly to a horse and they could understand you, what would you want them to know? Um, yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I think, like, um, specifically for horse racing, after the race, you're always like scratching your head and being like, I mean, if the horse wins, it's easy, but if he doesn't, you're always scratching your head and looking at the replays and thinking, asking the jockey, how do you, and looking at the, the, the ground, I was too heavy or the jockey didn't do right or it was fixed wide and this and that. But I actually would most of the time, <laughs> probably every time, I really would want to know the horse's opinion and be like, what do you think of that race? Like, did you feel it, not feel it? Like what happened? And did the jockey whip you too much or did it, I don't know, did you just not... Was it, you just didn't wake up on a good mood or stuff like that. And it's such a normal thing that we would do as athletes. You, know, you always go over your performances and you rewatch it and, and you debrief with your coach and you're like, right, I didn't do this properly, but I know why because, you know, I I took the wrong step or I slipped in the, in the curve or, or you can't do that with horses. And sometimes I feel like it would make things so much easier if they could just be like, look, I just don't like it when this jockey rides me. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I think the the theme of today's uh, podcast is almost the communication, right? Like, yeah. I, I think uh, like you've brought it up a few different part, times here, but like, yeah, communicating with the horse, but also within the team and everything is the, yeah, it's definitely one of the, the key take-home messages for everyone at home. But yeah, I think to your point, yeah, I, I so wish I could just like, ask the horse, like, okay, what did you see there? Or, you know, did you have a bad sleep last night and you're just not feeling it? And it's not even worth, you know, yeah. trying to compete today because it's, it's just not in you. But um, I yeah. think that's all. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I think that's also why it's um, like all the data. I think sometimes it scares trainers a bit, but that's also why they shouldn't be because obviously horses will never be able to talk or like not in the near future anyway. And, that's why they're so valuable as well because you need good horsemen and horsewomen to be able to as much as they can understand the horse and interpret their behavior and be like and i've seen it i've seen trainers that are just really good and they'll they'll see a horse and they'll see the behavior every day and they'll be like this horse needs a break this horse is just not handling his work even though all the data is saying you know he's going fine or the opposite so i think that's 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 like that's also a good a good thing is like you always need both it's like a science but also an art sort of yeah perfect so we'll leave it there thank you so much Romy uh for this discussion I I, I always get excited to talk to you it's always really really interesting to hear uh, your perspective on this uh really exciting what you're doing down in Australia and I hope that uh this makes it more and more back to North America and to Europe because I think it it is the future of the sport for sure. Like there just isn't a way to get the most out of athletes without diving into this. So, uh, you know, my hat's off to you for pursuing it and making it go down there. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what the future brings. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a really great conversation. And um, I didn't get to meet Nicole, but 
<laughs> I passed the hello as well. And uh, yeah, thank you for all the stuff you're doing on the podcast as well. It's it's really great information and I invite everyone to listen to it. <laughs> we definitely missed you on that uh, conversation, Nicole, but uh, looking forward to getting you back for the next one. Um, but but yeah, like for sure, a really, really fascinating conversation with Romy. Um, she's accomplished a lot in a very short period of time. Um, you know, just the business she's been able to build, the resume she has behind her is really, really impressive. And, uh, you know, her knowledge is for sure outstanding and like how she applies different tools and methods to, you know, enhance performance in these thoroughbred racehorses. But I think as well, it's just a really cool story about someone who took a passion for horses uh, a passion for sports science. Uh, it's evolved over time. She's definitely gone through, um, I want to say like a, a few different, you know, changes in her, I guess her perspective on, on life and what she wants to pursue. And, and she's gone through a few of these, uh, these changes and she is where she is right now, which is a really impressive, uh, place that she's built for herself. So just a really, really fascinating story. I feel like in 20 years, they may write a book about her and what she's been been up to. And uh, yeah, just really happy to be able to share that with everyone. Yeah, for sure. I thought it was so cool getting to hear her story. And um, I really connected with it just in terms of, you know, being so passionate about the horse as an athlete and as a partner that you sort of find, find your way to build a life around them. Um, and and yeah, I thought that was really special. So thank you for covering for me. I'm sorry that I missed it, but um, really appreciated uh, your your great interview with Romy. And with that, uh, as usual, you can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can follow us at Sport Horse Series on Facebook and Instagram. Um, take a, a minute if you guys have a chance to poke around our website. We have some really great new com uh, content uh, getting added to the Sport Horse Series very soon, um, including uh, a really cool conference that we're hosting out in Portland, Oregon in just uh, a week or two. Um, so definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network. Thank you to our sponsor, Hilltop Bio, again, for making this episode possible. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy. Mm -hmm.